HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brent and Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostriches, wine, and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. Are we ready for the podcast? Lights, to begin? camera, action. Begin, begin, begin. Start our new lives as famous podcasters. Start it, start it. That's right. Brett and say our line. What do we say when we start the show? Okay, ready? And... Fire! Five, four. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Life's a Banquet Podcast, a show about the lows and highs of everything that's edible, spreadable, and easily digestible. Oh my god, that Sorry. was amazing! No, it's exciting. It is. I'm. I share your I, enthusiasm. Hello. I took, well, I took some cold medicine earlier. Oh, that's crazy. And or and then earlier also. Okay, so you're hopped up as hell. Mm-hmm. Welcome everyone. It has speed in it. Uh, welcome. This is our podcast. <laughs> it's me, Zara Tangora, and Bretton Scott. Awesome, and we've been lifelong friends for the past five years. We are, it feels like for uh, like forever. We are so committed to this podcast that Zara is moving in upstairs, and we are going to buckle down the next year and record here in the heart of Studio Fifty Four in Fort Greene Studios, Brooklyn. Yep, we're going to make seven podcasts a day, seven podcasts seven days a, day. a week. And this is episode one, and we're really excited. But first, before we get into the subject, I think we should talk a little bit about ourselves and tell you a little bit who we are and why you should be listening to us. Zara, that's a good idea. Who are you? I was going to try to do one of those speed talking things. Yeah, you've got one minute. <laughs> um, my name is Zara Tangora, and I used to own a restaurant called Brucey. It was in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. I grew up on the North Shore of mm-hmm. New York's Long Island. Oh, God, it's so nice there. Long Island in a little town called Northport. Um, I love to cook. My parents were chefs, yada, yada, yada. Got in a bad accident when I was 21 years old, yada, yada, yada after that. I opened a restaurant, boppity boo, now here I am, <laughs> and I'm starting a podcast. But You I know what's lo- so funny what? when, you, when you tell history like that? Okay, do you ever go through a really, really horrible time? I bet no. no I bet no, audiences, anybody never. gone through something horrible? I've heard that Like a exist. breakup. No. A bad apartment. I'm still with every person right, I've ever Right, and you dated. go in and you're in it and it feels so dramatic. And then you say, 
or like, oh God, I moved there and I was living in Chicago. But during those three years, but then one day you can sit here at this table, yes. this round table like us and be like, well, then I opened a restaurant. It was open for five years. Right. And it sounds. I know the miracle of time passing. It's crazy. You're absolutely right anyway, about so that. that was, that's really cool it's, that you can say that. It's very true, though, because everything feels extremely intense in the moment, and then you and then get now past I'm, it. You're just telling just me like, you have a red hat over your microphone. That's true. Because we, <laughs> we can't afford those those <laughs> air or whatever what are they called, like rab, dead rabbit, dead cats or something. What? They're like foam mic covers. It's so called that a are, dead cat? They call it a dead cat. Usually for wind or something, they put those over. Oh, sparkles you ever see and wind, close your ears. Like a dead rabbit. I don't know. They look like a. I've a seen fuzzy a dead thing. rabbit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not, or a mic not cover, the mic cover part. Foam that will stop the peas from being peas. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I guess we don't have to tell people like that. Like the Edit. Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well, Breton, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Let me see if I can say it as. Just edit your fish. life yeah, story yeah. down to the three most important things about yourself. Okay. Now. Well, ready? Okay. So my name is Breton Scott. I'm from Wisconsin. I've. One. I've, uh, I, yeah, that's one. I went to music school. Two. I love piano. There's going to be five things I've decided. Okay. And I've worked in restaurants or some sort of food, something, cooking, anything, every aspect for my entire life. Uh, and I also owned a bar and restaurant in Denver. What was it called? Uh, it was called Fort Green. That's. Isn't that kind of. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my idea was I would go back and forth and I'd always be in Fort Greene. Mm. Well, anyway, I needless to say, I sold it. It's still open. You can go check it out. Uh, a girl from Denver bought it. And so I moved back to New York and now I'm sitting around this round table after moving to, you know, three different cities in the last three years. And here we are. Yeah. Episode one. We're going to be podcasting and talking to you about all kinds of things that we love in food and sharing an interesting story from history in each single and married episode. Exactly. So please go along with us with this journey because we're going to grow. We want to take field trips. We don't even know after episode three what we're doing, It could, but it's something that involves around <laughs> entertainment, cooking, having people over, and I mean, the wonderful world of food and beverage. Yeah. And how in that there's usually uh, some real big exciting points and some really low darkness mm. that lurks within every tale in the food world. So yeah. that's kind of what our 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 elevator pitch Honey, is, the so food, to speak. Behind the scene the behind the closed doors of Food Network is a lot is yeah. a lot of shouting and screaming. Yeah. Well so they say Oh my god this is the this is the finest point retractable pen I've ever used. I know. It's amazing. It's the only pen that my handwriting looks good with. Wow, that's incredible. I know. It's really great. So this brings us to... Well, you know, I actually want to know what you did this week a little bit before we get okay, quite into well, the topic. Because one... we haven't seen each other in like four or five hours. And I just Zara and I live up. a very... Uh, I'm not speaking for her on behalf of myself, only because I observe uh, <laughs> what happens in our real lives of Brooklyn and New York, New York City. And we sort of have these Larry David moments or just play-by-play uh, -play mm -hmm. moments. So, yeah. you know, we're going to really be honest about where we're at right now and we're both kind of freelancing and trying to, you know, make our way without getting a full-time job quite yet. But yeah, we kind of have to soon. Anyway, so I, I picked up a catering gig because of the event that we did on New Year's Eve. And long story, but we ended up doing an event on New Year's Eve. And afterward, we went to a bar and I ran into somebody. I said, oh, I did a party. You know, I cater. And then they passed along to their friends. So thank God in the slow time of January, I picked up one party. That's great. Uh, and it's for somebody's, it's 
he wants it Russian themed, and I never. That's very specific. Well, Russian themed. Is it and for a Washington. party for Donald Trump? No, no, no. He wrote a book about. He, he, it's a long story, but he was a he's an adult now, and he wrote a memoir about a trip that he had taken. Oh, okay. Uh, he survived brain cancer. Wow, that's amazing. yeah. He survived brain cancer when he was a kid, and he had that Make a Wish Foundation. Oh yeah. And he his wish was to go to Russia. That's incredible. I mean, he's probably I, I would say this probably happened in the late eighties, uh-huh. mid eighties, and he wanted to end the Cold War and to have a truce with Mikhail Gorbachev and say wow and and nuclear threats against the U.S. So I, apparently he went there, he got sponsorship, and they raised money, and he went there. And, of course, Mikhail Gorbachev canceled the meeting for this poor kid, <gasps> and he survived brain cancer. Oh he had his God. tumor removed. He survived. They said he would never live. He did. He's 48 now, 47, and I'm throwing his party for the book that he just sold. That's about, amazing. Yeah, it's a really, really cool story. That's great. And the food part of it, to get back to our podcast here, I never... He's like, oh, you know, I'd like some blinis. And I said, oh, we've all had blinis. You know, we've we've all been to Barney Greengrass. If you've eaten one bellini, you've eaten Well, and I, so I had to make, I'm making bellinis. And I've, I realized that I'd never made them before. I said, oh, they're just pancakes. And I'm researching, researching. And there are so many different types of recipes. There's yeah, buckwheat. Buckwheat. Right? There's non-buckwheat. There's some with yeast, some with not yeast. Wow. Some are, the little small ones I found out are not exactly that traditional. Usually they're made into larger diameters the oh, size really? of a, a saucer perhaps and then fold it into a triangle oh i had no idea and you could stuff them or you can put them right on top and kind of use it like a little t- mini taco oh. so they're russian tacos that's really cool i had no idea i've only you know to be completely honest with you i haven't had that many bellinis in my life this is because of something else that's going to be a true confession mm. for the first time ever i don't love caviar and by that i mean i like caviar like I and I don't mean to sound at all snobby by saying this, like, even like caviar. Yeah. I just mean in all seriousness. Oh, Sutra and Beluga are just not for me. I like it. I I don't dislike it per se, but I don't crave it the way I crave other things. Well, maybe like, if we had that are decadent, like an oyster or something. Do you, you think know? if we had an unlimited or a disposable income that you and I would just go out right now? I'm sure we could go out somewhere in Brooklyn, or we could probably like take a would we take an uber if we were rich yeah we would we would uh, take and, a helicopter yeah course. we could go somewhere in wall street yeah post you know kind of post work crowd oh mm-hmm. we could go to the beekman hotel and get some caviar okay i would do it for the experience but i wouldn't you know it's more about what the caviar represents i guess i think it I represents would do it celebration pre- i would do it to be pretentious right yeah i know i'm like that like the day when okay so one day about six months ago breton found <laughs> what well, what have i sign. done for a lost cat and it said there oh was a reward and our plan was and then Breton secretly knew where the cat was so our plan was she was to gonna get five hundred dollars return the cat and then take the reward money and go get caviar and champagne well to make the long story short is that my <laughs> upstairs neighbor found a cat and I knew that it was it so I was gonna I was gonna just say like oh hey can I get that cat and then not tell anybody about the money <laughs> Well, I felt guilty and, you know, yeah, right. the girl that was watching the cat, she got the money. It was fine. And I, I bet she didn't get any caviar with it. No, hopefully she, never mind. I was going to say, hopefully she made her apartment look a little nicer. Uh-oh, edit. <laughs> it's okay. She's, whatever, if she says it, you know what? Guess what? The truth hurts. Oh, my God. Get some God. new curtains. There, I You're said it. vicious. You are being <laughs> vicious to this poor, poor woman well, with wait, bad taste. On. I'm just kidding. I want to hear about your week because this sort of 
sort of uh, curtails along with what our episode's about. Yeah. Well, but I want to hear more about. My week is interesting. Um, I have a sick parent in North Carolina. And so I spent half the week. I just kind of got back a couple of days ago. And in terms of food, it's <laughs> I was in Asheville, so it's a great culinary scene down there. But oh, yeah, I heard about that. I didn't have that much time to kind of like dig, do a deep dive in there. But um, between hospital visits, exactly. But upon return, we did the women's march, and then you and I and a couple of other friends went out and had a fabulous try of oysters and oh, some very grand bad clam chowder at the Grand Central Grand Central Oyster Bar. I would eat like garbage from there though because it's just such a fun place to be. There, the oysters if anybody were has very never delicious. been there. It's in, right in the middle of Grand Central Terminal. I think in the kind of in the basement, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it has that front room and I can't remember when the restaurant opened, but I know that I've It's so beautiful there. It's gorgeous, and they have this really fun kind of, you go all the way through the restaurant in the back, there is this bar that's very dark, What it feels very old school, and you can imagine in the 1940s, it must have been just glamorous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had some really nice oysters. And beers and some other snacky treats, which were less good, but it kind of doesn't matter. It's a good place to go. It sounds and looks and feels very fancy, but it isn't particularly expensive, especially for like oysters. I mean, the oysters are just on par with anywhere else you go. And Remember when I put the rest of the <clears throat> tartar sauce into the clam chowder? Did you see me do that? No. Don't tell anybody. But I'm absolutely not surprised. You mix the tartar sauce with the clam chowder for everyone I've, to enjoy or you no, just No, no, there was yourself? leftover tartar sauce from the fried clams oh. and so I put it on my spoon and then put a, Oh, a I thought you just took a spoonful of tartar sauce, but this makes it so much actually, better. Actually, you know what? Well, I think I did both. You actually <laughs> <laughs> That was I did that as I ducked You're a Gavone, the bar. as my Italian grandfather would have said. Just kidding. Well, listen, let's get down to it. Let's I get think down to brass this tacks. sort of This is a good segue. We're going to segue it up here. Listen, Oysters, caviar, what goes with that? Orange juice? Yeah. Orange <laughs> juice and uh, a glass of milk. Ooh, like a creamsicle drink. Yeah. Yeah. Yuck. Don't like orange juice at all. No, we're just JKing, guys. What goes with those things, of course, is. All right. Champagne. Oh my God, your <laughs> voice is beautiful. <laughs> Wait, oh no. This is where we should pause it okay. and get the bottle. Okay, so it looks like it's that. Oh, sorry. That sound is good. Yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah, you're recording. Uh, I believe so. So, sorry. What did you actually? Don't tell me what you brought over. I, well, I'm looking at it, so I'd be lying if I said it was a secret. <laughs> it's a blind tasting that the audience can't see, but <laughs> and I no can one see. can. No one can see. We're just all gonna just oh, listen God. to Breton so get you, drunk. So let's just. <laughs> Uh, talk about champagne. I'm ripping Shall open we? the foil. So first of all, let's just get a sensual. Uh, Maybe we should be honest with the listeners first and tell them okay, that we're fine. not actually drinking champagne. We can't afford champagne. champagne. We're drinking Cremant de Jura, which, which by no means is less quality. I it's think not, it's more fun. Yeah, yeah, it's more fun. And this is a natural one. Can you tell them the producer? I'm not looking at the bottle. This is a Cremant de Jura, uh, which is another sparkling wine. So it's not champagne, but it is from France and it is sparkling. Uh, and, and this th- one says, uh, Elaboré pour demain, Pierre Richard Vigneron. Oh, wow. I don't know. Nice French accent. Uh, it's a Blanc Brut um, Harmonique. Harmonic. Nice. So, uh, Cremant is made in the same style as Champagne with the, you know, d- dual, double fermentation. Um, and 
the difference is that it's not made from the same grapes as champagne and it's not from champagne. So yeah, exactly. according to the law of champagne, it cannot be called such. So they call so, it <laughs> <laughs> So for our champagne episode, we are drinking right. sparkling wine bubbles. We're but, drinking Martinelli's apple juice, let's be honest. No, listen, I said we were freelancing, so give us a break. <laughs> so as I turn off the champagne cage, I keep my thumb on it and I provide six and a half twists to the cage. I place my thumb on top of the cork as I gently take the cage off of the round cork, in which case I will place my right hand at the base of the heavy bottle of champagne, and I will give it one and a half twists until I hear the pop. Oh, that sounded (laughs) sounded kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) It was a. Champagne. It was more. It of was a, a champagne tube. Yeah. <laughs> so you have here just the well, right. The difference champagne between tube. champagne and cremant is that while <laughs> champagne offers you a beautiful popping sound, cremant <laughs> is just a simple. <laughs> it's a <laughs> oh God! It is. What time is it? Who cares? So. Ooh. Uh, oh my uh-huh. God! Sorry. Tell them how many bubbles are in a bottle of. 49 million bubbles per bottle. So can you hear that? I'm pouring one glass, which let's say there's five glasses in a bottle, right? Yeah. Uh, that would mean almost 10 millions, 10, 10 million, 10 million of, of bubbles. bubbles per glass. There, there you go. And as you always say, Breton, every bubble is a wish. So we're going to be here a long time. So I just want to uh, also say the celebration today is uh, it's Zara's birthday tomorrow. Oh, guys, and so this is her true. last day of how I'm going to be 34. Wait, you're going to be 34. God, you're so young. I think you're so, so fresh. No, what are compared you to you, but compared to most other people younger than me, I'm well, they mu- say I'm that much older. women mature maturity will probably at the same level because right. women are about five or six years above men. Right. I'm still working on a few things. Yeah. You know, life. All right. Well, here. Cheers. Cheers to, to that. And so, a life is a banquet. Life is a banquet. Oh, we forgot to say the name of the podcast. Did we? Yeah, we did. Really? No, I said life is a banquet. I was so excited. Oh, well, the name of the podcast is Life's a Banquet. I hope that you can all read when you, you click on this. You know the message we're trying to send here if you don't is... know by now, I don't know what else we can do for you. All right. Sip number one. Mm. I can feel all of my anxiety just melt away delicious breton can you tell us what the three grapes that are in champagne are please okay so from my knowledge the three allowed grapes of champagne are pinot noir pinot meunier and chardonnay okay great all right so and then Um, i mean i'm not i'm no champagne expert okay guy but I'm also not a champagne expert. But what I do know is I love to drink it. Me too. The bubbles. The bubbles. The magic. The glamour. You know what, Zara? What in the hell was that? Uh, the ancient, heat? Yeah, heat from 1890s. Finally. Jeez Louise. So, Zara, I think you told me you had a story, right? I do have a story. I have a really interesting story today about champagne. So, as we mentioned earlier, our stories will tend to focus on the highs, the lows, the ins, the outs, the dirt, the grit, the glamour. Well, of, I want to hear some grit about well, champagne. That you will. I'm going to lay it right on you. So champagne has never had the easiest time. But through the perseverance of the winemakers uh, and the people of France in general who put drinking and eating above basically everything else, which is fine by I me. I guess that's kind of what we do, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, they have really set the bar extremely high in terms of what you'll do to make sure that your product is perfect. 
and Champagne has not had an easy time. Um, in the late 1800s, there was a very, very, very bad, a very, very, very bad thing. It was a mite that was attacking all the grapes, and it was called, can you help me pronounce this? I think it's phylloxera. Phylloxera. It's kind of- I, I looked at the notes. So. I have- um, the same affliction as my mother does. It's creeping up on me little by little. It's when you pronounce a word mispronunciation. Wrong. Yeah, my parents do with somebody's name. My mom is really bad. She says everything wrong. When my parents say a a a, a Spanish word, yeah. For do they example, try to pronounce it? well, they try to overcompensate it. So I had a, a Sergio. Okay, I used to date Sergio, who's my friend Sergio. They're always like, I just. Sergio, Sergio, and I was like, just it's Sergio, it's Sergio, just say Sergio, uh, Sergio, Sergio, because they're trying to do it correctly, or they'll be like, a fajita, fajitas. Now, granted, the eighties we called them fajitas. Okay, so just fajitas sounds like a like it reminds me of vagina, I guess. Um, my mom says Karichikan instead of Konishan. And no. I, it just reminds me of oh, like some kind of gorilla yeah. pickle army that's like ready to invade. And she kind of, it's kind of becomes the thing. Oh, Karich. Kind uh, of like Karichi cons. And I'm like, very funny mom. Yeah. It's actually adorable. Better. It's very cute. I like it. It's endearing. But anyway, I'm kind of picking some of that up along my way on my path to old age. So it, the plight of champagne didn't begin with phylloxera, but oh, that's yeah, sorry, where I'm beginning the story because we only have so much time. But it's, you know, been fraught throughout time. Um, phylloxera was uh, a parasite that okay. ate a lot of the grapes in France and Italy and Spain. Did it affect the, the actual, not, the, not that it we have the to vines. get the vines. Okay. Yeah, so it destroyed like... the vines. And there was a couple of, uh, Bollinger had a uh, Pinot Noir plant, that uh, Pinot Noir, the grape, course, but yeah, a yeah. lot of their vines. Um, I think they enough survived to make 3,000 bottles. And it was become it became one of the most sought after vintages there was. That what year was this? I mean, in, it was in the late eighteen hundreds. Oh, in the late eighteen yeah. hundreds. Okay. But they saved three thousand bottles, and I'm not sure if there's any still in circulation. That would have been a good thing to look up. I'm sure if there is, it's oh, then we'll make, I'll make sure to order. <laughs> it might be poison by now. We'll get that for next time. Yeah, yeah. This time, a twenty four dollar bottle of Cremant de Girard. Next time, this. Wait, you spent twenty four bucks. I did. Yeah, I'm a wow. high roller. Yeah. So that was difficult then enter a little thing you might have heard of called world war one oh i've heard about that yes world war one was also difficult and this is when they started what they continued where my story will go which is about champagne during world war ii in world war one they began this thing where they started digging under in the um like making caves underneath all the vineyards and throughout the champagne region okay. and making fake walls and hiding the champagne down there. So they began that My God, in, so in World smart. War One, but it really continued during World War Two. So World War One, very devastating for the Champagne region. Um, and then the Depression of 1929 uh, reported 50% drop in grape prices. And then... Yeah, well, on top of... And then Prohibition. Yeah. Oh, yeah, before that Prohibition. Sorry, America, nobody's drinking champagne except right. for... It was a. T- I mean, it really kept happening. It, kept, it was one thing after another, God, after just, another, after they're another. Like, we. It doesn't matter. We're gonna keep on. Yeah, and they they did not on. care. They weren't like, oh well, maybe we'll just you know focus on survival. They're like, nope, we're gonna still be making champagne. 
No one can stop us. That's, that is how it must Let's be. Eat. And, you know, I, I didn't just go for champagne. I mean, other wines, other of products. Course, yes, but, yes. you know, I think it's particularly interesting that champagne continued because it's such a luxury item and it's so yeah, we specialty. Once, it's uh, once you paid the bills, once the electricity bills paid, once the cell phones paid, mm-hmm. then you get the champagne. They exactly. do it the opposite. They're like, no. This is tasty, by the it's way. It's absolutely It's very divine. tasty. So during these times, a lot of the production, a lot of the farming was delegated to women, children, and elderly men as, you know, during World War One. Exactly. Continuing the, to World War Two, yeah. Able bodied. All the strapping young, exactly. able bodied. They were just handsome modeling. French, <laughs> wonderful men. They were fighting and unfortunately dying probably oh, yeah, in sounds, mass numbers. Sounds um so bopity bop bop ba doo 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 doo. Um so let's go cut to World War Two, shall we? Um, some say that the Champagne region suffered worse than any other part of uh, France, but in different ways. So they had mm-hmm. a lot of clout. They had leverage. Um, the Germans um, assigned these they people wanted, yeah. called Weinfurers to oversee each region. And yeah, that's right. You told me about that. Right. And so uh, there was Weinfuhrer. a Weinfuhrer in Germany called Otto Kleinbesch. And I don't like that guy already. No. And while... I got a bad vibe. I think they say that they suffered worse because there was such an extremely high demand for champagne from the Germans. The Germans preferred champagne, and obviously they were doing a lot of celebrating as they, you know, maniacally yeah, every, 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 took over Europe. Every time they killed somebody, oh, but, celebration. But truthfully, I mean, you know, they threw these grand parties all the time. Every time they had a defeat, they were very in your face about it and very decadent in their kind of tastes. Dis- and it, Disgusting, really sick. Um, so Nazi they, party. they, the Third Reich, Germany, Hitler, did really desired champagne. So they had leverage and the ability not to be completely wiped out like other parts of France because they were producing this product that the Germans really wanted. However, mm-hmm. there was a lot of pressure on them to keep producing. They had to produce 400,000 bottles a week That's from the insane. champagne region. It's a lot, especially thinking about the fact that you know, manufacturing was absolutely not what it is today. I can't. No, I mean, and these women hand, and children and old men are just like, oh, yeah. They don't. They don't I, don't, I tried to do French accent just there, and don't I don't have a choked. I don't know if they had an automated factory back then, but pr- chances are probably not. No, Slightly, I don't think it was. Right. I don't think they were really set up for it. Also, given everything else was going on, it seems like it was probably pretty tough. Um, so yeah, following the surrender of France on June 22nd, 1940, the Nazis, uh, took over the major wine regions and then everything else kind of just started to unravel. However, the Chapinois, Chapinois mm-hmm. is how you describe the sh- people of Champagne, the Chapinois. I, you know what? I don't I know there's the méthode Chapinois. I think it's Chapinois and I'm dropping the S to sound more fancy, but really I'm saying it incorrectly. Chapinois would be feminine. Anyway, go ahead. Come okay. Here, so let's go. So they were very strong and very smart. And as I mentioned earlier, they were hiding stuff in caves. They were also doing this thing where they were trying to mislabel so that they weren't giving away their most amazing wine. However, this guy... have our swill. Exactly. They're like, uh, this is from our spittoon. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, I bet I pissed. I bet somebody, I bet somebody peed. I I know somebody peed. I hope. I hope. I would have done it. 50% pee. I would have peed in it. Well, this guy, Otto Kleibisch, it wasn't flying because he was a cognac-born guy and he had a he had really good taste 
So they weren't able to kind of run it by him. And every time it would happen, he would become absolutely irate. Um, Because he could... Oh, that's right. Did you, where was he from? He was from Cognac. Cognac. Yeah. And so, so he knew. From, a, from a Cognac producing family. So he knew about oh wine. They, so they couldn't kind of get it over on him. It sucks. So uh, apparently a 20-year-old uh, Francois Tattinger attempted to do this with some of the wines from Tattinger and was jailed. Oh, my God. This just this makes was, me want to try. When I was reading this, I was like, oh, he must have been sent to concentrate to a work camp or something, concentration camp. But he was just jailed for the weekend. So that leads me <laughs> to believe. We need. They needed him. Well, it leads me to believe that they really did, you know, need people. Um, okay, so they did not like this. They did not like it at all, trying to pass off the fake wine. It was a huge problem, um, but people continued to do it. Uh, I wonder if anybody actually was sent. I'm sure. Well, the thing that they were saying, Tattinger was quote, quoted as saying, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, you know, these people have absolutely no taste who are drinking this. They're just guzzling it, and they don't know the difference, so why do you care? And that's kind of why he was sent off to jail. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. Uh, different people from throughout the region had their different ways of uh, dealing with it. Madame Jacques, who was the head of Boulanger at the time, oh, that's right. appeased oh, him. Stoli Bully from Abfab. Yeah, Madame Jacques. Go ahead, I'm listening. Madame Jacques. Madame Jacques. That's one of my favorite voices to do. <laughs> my God. Madame Jacques. Continue with the story. I'm dying to We listen. should do the rest of the podcast in that voice. Madame Jacques of Boulanger um, appeased Kleinbash by providing him with a gigantic chair because he was apparently a very fat and very angry man. And so she. God, this was, auto guy is yeah, I disgusting. Mean, he was a real nightmare. Sounds like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Probably. He was oh the Weinstein. God. He was a literal wine. A Weinstein. Oh <laughs> a Weinstein. I can't even. <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about Harvey Weinstein stories, but I know I have a lot of them. Well, keep them in the vault. We don't need yep. to get sued. Um, exactly. Okay, so uh, Madame Jacques Boulanger appeased him by giving him a gigantic chair, and he was so impressed that he never called on Boulanger again to go through some of the lengths that he was, you know, asking of some of these other major producers, just because he was so honored about the chair for his fat ass, oh, and they fuck. still have that chair there today. Is that interesting? I wonder if the chair is celebrated or maybe, yeah, maybe it's celebrated thinking Probably. this guy sat here and we made it through and he was destroyed. And whatever, do you know what happened to him? Yeah, I mean, he was humiliated. Well, I'm, I'll get there, but, okay, it, okay, you know, okay. obviously it didn't end well for Germany, thank God. Um. So anyway, the head of Moet, uh, and Chandon, Moet and Chandon at the time was named Robert Jean de Vosges and he was an integral part of forming something called the CIVC. And uh, that was uh, kind of like a collection of champagne makers in the area at the time, which still exists to protect the rights of champagne, kind of like what you can call champagne and what you can call champagne, just, you know, protecting the the relationship between the producers, the makers, the, you know, the people of champagne were involved in wine. So he, but it was formed then. And in French, it translates to the Comité Interprofessionnel du... Vin de Champagne. The Professional Committee of Champagne Wine. Exactly. And so at the time it was formed under the direction of the government to organize the growers and protect the supply of champagne. And today it's still used to safeguard the name Champagne. Okay, so first of all, I don't know why, but while you were telling me this story and... You zoned out and stopped listening? No, no, no. I've heard... (laughs) 
I've heard the story before. <laughs> but I love how every time I hear it, it's just slightly different. No, just kidding. It's been the same. <coughs> this is historical fiction, and apologize for my uh, nasty bronchitis. But I will say this. Champagne. First of all, why should one... Why should one drink champagne? Why should you spend the money? Why would one want to spend the money? Let's say. Well, I think it's multifold. I think it's status now. I think it's taste. It's interesting. It's unique. It's different. It's cared for depending on where you get it from. Some people say it keeps you thin. Some people say it keeps you cognizant. I suppose. Although they say the bubbles help you uh, receive the, you know, the little buzz a little bit Mm -hmm. faster, but it's not over you can't drink so much it kind of fills you up right so that you sort of have this pleasant little buzz and it yeah. kind of keeps you going the whole night through i mean i think that it's a, it's a status thing for some folks and for some people they genuinely enjoy it and it's delicious i prefer to drink bubbly wine not necessarily champagne but any kind of bubbles to well this any, is a, anything uh, else you know what we should uh should we interject and say what to do when you don't have the funds or let's say you're having a party is this a good time or should we let's Save that toward the end. Uh, I'm just dead in the middle of the best part of the story. Oh my god! I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just right dead in the middle of it. Oh but god, I, I do. To, I do think we should tell people that. Balls. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay. So by the spring of 1941, Champagne was on the verge of collapse. They were unable to meet the demands. The 400,000 plus bottles a week. So with the CIVC and a little group called the French. Resistance. Oh, la resistance. <laughs> they all got together. <laughs> Can you play a song for us? A French resistance song on the piano quickly? Uh, I feel like you could do it. I could, actually, if I move the mic. Yeah, uh, move it over with you. Or just play it really loud. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Is it, am I there? Yeah, you're here. Okay, so I have this treat for you. Play it. Um... So we ahead. need a good French resistance song break. This is a, actually a song called Fugitive. Okay. Beautiful. Take, take. We'll do a different take on that. I no, I loved it. Listen, anyone out there who doesn't know how to play the accordion was super impressed by that. So please, you don't know, be too I don't describe myself as an accordion player. I describe myself as somebody who has an accordion. That's Is your fair. mom calling you? No, don't look at my phone. God, mom. Everything's Bobby. fine. Bobby, Bobby. She's answer? probably like, she, yeah, yeah. Answer it. Hello. Just turn on speaker. Hello. Hi. Hi, you're on our podcast. Oh, my goodness. Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? Hey, Bobby. Glad that you called. Can you please tell us um, what you call those tiny little pickles that are French? <laughs> yeah. We- <laughs> Caritican. <laughs> I Caritican. fucking told you, people of Earth. Caritican, Caritican. Everybody I know. go in on a pickle vacation. I think you planned this out. I swear to God. Mom, um, we're recording a podcast. Can I call you back? Okay, bye, bye. Okay. 
that's the kind of thing you're going to get here on Life's Banquet. Moms, collection oh, agencies, accordion playing. If you're still with us, yeah. if you're still paying attention. We're slowly. We're talking about champagne in World <laughs> War II, and I swear to God, I'm going to get it to the end of the story. We okay. are dwindling Listen, down let our audience. Let me tell you, people. Okay. Okay. So, sorry. We've, we've planned the CIVC uh, with the head of Moet and Chandon. Uh, it's 1941. The people are getting freaked out. They're not. They're not sure how they're going to keep producing enough champagne. So, with the formation of this group, the CIVC, they go to the wine Führer Otto Kleinbash, the awful human um, in I, charge of I champagne. Wanna, I don't want to say what's going to come out of my mouth. Okay, good. This he, guy's kind of starting to sound like our president. Oh yeah, except absolutely. that you can't tell the difference between except, good champagne. Correct. Except our president has no taste whatsoever. Not that I. Okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah, I mean, we, we all got, agree. Just got weird. Preaching to the choir, we all agree with you. So, anyway, um, they convince him that in order to keep producing anything, again, going back to the fact that they have a leverage mm-hmm. um, with, the, with the fact that the German people love champagne, they agree that they need to be able to sell some of their stock to keep doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So they, the German government agrees. And they, they say, look. listen, if we want to keep this up, yeah. so the French probably at one point says, hey, listen, if you keep doing this to us, you're not going to have any champagne. Please, please, please. Absolutely. Let us at least make some money so we can sustain our business and you can keep drinking champagne and being disgusting humans. Absolutely. So through that, eventually, from the pushback, the CIVC uh, growers in champagne were able to sell one quarter of their stock to France, Belgium, Sweden, and Finland. Um, and the French resistance continued to be extremely active. So one thing that I thought was really cool was that the resistance and the uh, winemakers in Champagne worked together to kind of coordinate when there would be a massive attack um, or, you know, what do you call it? A siege? A, some type uh, of siege, a battle. Uh, right. An, att- yeah, an yeah. offensive. Yeah, yeah. An offensive. When there would be an offensive by the Germans because they would be ordering massive amounts of champagne, as we discussed this, earlier, yeah. they really like to be very gaudy in their celebration, very over the top. Oh, we're gonna, we are going to. That was Arnold. I'm sorry. Uh, it's very. Why nice. are you going? <laughs> why are you going to lift the weights? And the Don't stop drinking, everybody. Champagne. When I lift the weights, I imagine my biceps growing bigger. <laughs> oh wait, sorry. So okay, so glass number four. They. <laughs> this was actually really awesome. So just from champagne they were able to kind of determine where an attack would be so in one such instance when they invaded north africa particularly uh, more specifically in egypt they were able to the resistance was able to find out their efforts because they knew that a massive shipment of champagne was going to quote a very warm place in north africa and then they knew where it was because they were working with the chapinois people underground which i think is really fascinating that champagne so the germans like okay we're gonna go somewhere kill a bunch of people and oh by the way have those cases of champagne ready right so but we this can... was a huge thing this was a huge thing for Wait, the what resistance was the movie that you said that allied allied I it was actually it really good and like that is not typically the kind of film that i would watch like a big blockbuster with like angelina jolie and brad pitt but it was pretty good um but angelina jolie wasn't in it now that i'm remembering it was marion cotillard <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the third three, time. That's the third time, and I said, "Gosh, I don't know that movie." Um, no, it was Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard. Okay, um, okay. Who's so sexy and beautiful? But it was a really, it was actually a really interesting film because it kind of touched just right on this thing with like the opulence that went on before each of like the attacks. 
offensives that they would do. So this was, I think, really, really fascinating. So as we all know, the Germans did not win the war. Very fortunately for everyone involved. Um, By 1944, Champagne had been successfully liberated as the war drew to a close. Um, General Patton arrived just in time because when the uh, Germans realized that it was going downhill for them, they were like, we're going to blow up all of the all of the oh God, major so houses in Champagne. And uh, General Patton, who we all know, um, came in right before this was going to happen and stopped it. That's insane. You know, my grandfather was a tank driver in France at the very really? end of World War II. That's amazing. I, I think he they said... In, Fran- in France? Yeah, yeah. He was in France. And I remember... Imagine he was involved in this. I don't know. You should I, ask your parents. Well... I mean, my grandfather, my grandpa died a couple years ago, but, and I never got to ask him. That's really fascinating. But my dad told me that there was that, I can't remember what movie that was, where there's the scene where all the tanks are coming in for that final battle in France. Saving Private Ryan? Was that what it was? I have no idea. I don't remember. (laughs) I saw it like 20 years ago. It's, oh my God, I know. It was Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, (laughs) right. No, to get serious, he was was down, and he was about to go into battle and he was a tank driver and they apparently announced world war ii is over and i don't know what part of france he was but i remember my grandmother painted a very bad picture of france she always would tell me she said oh oh my gosh she's like you do not want to go to france it's very dirty she said your grandfather said it's very dirty i said well of course it was it was world war it was under siege my grandmother was obsessed with dirty things one time she said she saw somebody drinking water out of a drinking fountain where somebody had changed their baby mm-hmm. in a park. Remember That's those not, lion heads? That does head, sound problematic. You know those lion heads that are a drinking fountain? Yes. It was one of those. Okay. Well, anyway. That is disgusting. So that... So, well, to just bring it all kind of full circle, after that happened, they busted out all of the champagne that they had hidden Yay! to celebrate. Knocked down those... Isn't that amazing? Knocked down the walls before they had stud finders. I know. I think it's really amazing. So it just is like a really interesting kind of tale of just how the French have always been very resilient, even till, you know, kind of modern times. Uh, One thing that I thought was kind of fascinating in in my research, 2015, uh, the magazine Charlie uh, Hebdo, um, after the attacks on the magazine, which were really awful. Who's Charlie Hebdo? It's a it's a uh, magazine in France. It's like a famous oh magazine. I, am I supposed to know who that is? Yeah, it's it is. like a famous French magazine. Oh, I love Charlie Hebdo. <laughs> it's a famous <laughs> magazine. They had printed some very controversial controversial things about ISIS, and then um, had gotten attacked at the headquarters oh, in 2015. Yeah. So after that, um, they had a cover that featured a man, uh, a cartoon man. Uh, with bullet holes all over him, and he was drinking a bottle of champagne, and all the champagne was leaking out of leaking the bullet holes. Out the freaking bullet holes. And the quote says uh, on the front says, "quote translated into English, they have guns. Fuck them. We have champagne." Well, let me tell you something. I may have collection agencies after me, but we have Cremant de Jura. You're good. <laughs> I'm good now. Thank you. It's your last day of 33, so enjoy it. <laughs> Wait, is it this? Is 32 to 33 the I Beat Jesus birthday, or 33 to 34 is I Beat Jesus birthday? I think 33 I, I, to 34 I is know. I Beat Jesus. Apparently, Jesus died at 33. 
Right. That was the that allegedly. Was, that was the twenty-seven. Of According those days. to the tabloids. Uh, well, I don't know what to say. That was a fun story, right? You know what? Cheers to thanks. Cheers to France. Thank you, to champagne. Being fabulous. Yeah. And, and enduring. So, Breton, you were asking me before, what do you do if you don't have a lot of money? But okay. If you have beer budget so, and champagne yeah. taste. So, if you're Breton Scott and you like to drain your bank account, <laughs> like, oh, I have a an event this Saturday, so I'll make a bunch of money, so I'll spend it all now. That way I'll, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of a count my chickens before they hatch kind of a guy. <laughs> you know, what do you do when in that situation? Uh, besides going to horrendous debt and have people call you all the time. <laughs> Uh, what I would recommend is instead of just blowing the load and getting your my favorite champagne, Billicart Simone Rosé. How much uh, is that a bottle? I don't. You know what? I don't know. I You've thought, only stolen so, it. Yeah. Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> you say that? No, I've only I've paid that bartender at the Ritz Carlton. I paid him off under the table. The no the oh my god the I think it's seventy bucks. Okay, so. What, well, but why don't you answer your own question? What would you do? If well, you I mean, money? if I didn't, you know what I would do? Actually, I'll tell you what I would do. Yeah, go Ready? right ahead. We're not even sponsored by this company, but okay. there's that wonderful company out of out of New Mexico, Gruet. Okay. Gruet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perfect is G- pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, G-R-U-E-T. <laughs> and apparently, the, the way they read the story years ago is this family had made taken their luck and you know spent all of their investments and said listen we're moving from france they're from the from the champagne region they said oh you know we want to move to america and open up a a sparkling wine you know a vineyard yeah yeah and apparently they i don't know they spent a year or two looking around the perfect spot you know and they went to new mexico where nobody was growing wine new mexico yeah high altitude right right apparently nothing i know nothing about the country of America. Well, I've never been to New Mexico. I have been, and let me tell you something. It would that's not where I would choose to plant my vineyards right. and start my whole new life. However, they took a gamble. Apparently, it worked out. There, that the microclimate of that region where they grow in New Mexico is very similar to Champagne. It has cool, wow. you know, cool nights and uh, and warm and it's days. Very dry, but yeah, and, yeah. It's like a. Tell uh, us more about New Mexico. I all I know is they. This episode brought to you by New Mexico Tourism Board. Yeah, all, all I know is I went there once and saw the weirdest guy chasing me and it was insane. And <laughs> I had so, delicious uh, hatch chili. Hatch chili. Yeah, I've heard we'll that. talk about that. Okay, cool. That'll day. be our hatch chili so episode. So apparently they go and they take, they, they, it works out. So you can get gray. You can get this. It's a, they have a Blanc de Blanc. They have a rose. They're all around between 15 and 17 bucks a bottle. Okay. And, the the bubbles are a little bit big, whatever. I mean, it's it's really affordable. But nice. if you have a party, it's delicious. It's Perfect. made in the same style, Method Champenoise, where they do this thing where they ferment the wine and then they do the second fermentation in the bottle. Yeah, that's what gives it the bubbles. Okay, so it's really cool. It's a affordable product. Uh, it's practically champagne on a beer budget. That's awesome. And it's sparkling wine. So great. I would shout out to them. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What would you besides this? Uh, well, I mean, you blew it on 24 bucks. I mean, well, is there, I mean, I guess you can spend less than that, but you could spend a lot more. How, how much is Gruet? I, I just, uh, <laughs> sorry, 
like perhaps you weren't listening. I had <laughs> 15 to 17 bucks a bottle. Oh, right. You did just say that. I, did just I was say thinking that. about my fingernails. That's okay. I didn't listen to your entire story. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think what I'm going to go a different route rather than talking about like the price per bottle and talk about what you can kind of cut back on um, in the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, like just, the gas bill. Yeah, just live in a smaller, <laughs> don't pay your gas bill. Just like rip up your all your credit card bills and throw them in, give them put them on your neighbor's door. No, yeah, I, yeah. instead of pairing <laughs> champagne with like a really fancy meal, you know, like, oh, well, we need to have champagne and then we need to have caviar. We need to have oysters. We need to have, you know, all this fancy stuff. Order shitty Chinese food from your favorite shitty Chinese food place mm-hmm. and drink champagne with that or order some pizzas and like go high, highbrow, lowbrow and that get a nice bottle really, of champagne. Really, yeah. Take out you know, pizza with champagne. That's a it's fun. That is pretty fun. Yeah, it is fun. And really, like, you know, people like to pair champagne with caviar and oysters and things like that because it's salty. So other salty foods go well with champagne. Also, another thing I would say, if you're in a city like New York City or maybe San Francisco or Los Angeles or a small town that I don't know about that has this policy, um, a lot of places, for instance, in New York, Chinese restaurants like Peking Duck House or Noodle Village um, or dozens of other places allow BYOB. Sorry for yeah, blowing up your spot. Right. But like bring your champagne. Lucali. Uh, the best. Yeah. I'm sorry, but different really episode. just the best. Different we'll day, do, different time. We'll do a three-part episode on Lucali. Yeah. Um, but bring a bottle of fabulous champagne. This throw room, out. I used to have a drink on my in at my bar. It was called the Diane Kwan. And How it, dare you? First so, of all, love Diane Kwan. Okay, so... Second question. Wait, 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 Tio... Was there a Zara Tangora? No. No, but I've... Okay. It took years. That's it, fine. It takes years. This but this guys, is, is going to be our last podcast. I hope you liked it. <laughs> this is specifically <laughs> why. The Dan Kwan was... This is a very good friend of mine, an old roommate. And Breton always has her full name. He, it's Diane Kwan. He never I, says, because, oh, my friend Diane. He always says, Diane Kwan said this. And you know what? I have to say, I know Diane a little bit. I think she's amazing from the little I know of her. But you are always quoting her as saying some of the most intelligent, down-to-earth, yeah. life-changing things that I've ever heard. I have been Diane telling Kwan's, her to have her own advice column if she's listening she to this. But she used to have <laughs> advice column. Listen to this. She used to go to the local bar. We would go somewhere in Fort Greene, and she'd always say, oh, um, a champagne and a shot. Perfect. And she's from San Francisco. She's Diane Kwan. She's incredible. And she... <laughs> Champagne on a shot. That's amazing. She's like, well, you know, I like to, I like to feel the buzz right away, but I also like to sip at my champagne for, she's you know, amazing. twenty minutes. Yeah. And I thought that's, I know that sounds. No, she's like smart. The girl. Earlier signs of alcoholism, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds absolutely perfect. So. Oh, I know what we're going to talk about. Uh, this was a, th- a question that I had for you. Please. And secretly, it's actually. Uh, I'm being narcissistic and I have a story behind it, but oh, I want to hear a story first. Great. Is when did you start? I know that you like bubbles. I know mm. that you love that. Zara really loves natural wine. Mm-hmm. I know that you said you weren't necessarily this champagne aficionado or you're, but I'm not a champagne but aficionado. You are, but That's true. You appreciate <laughs> quality made things. <laughs> of course. And you love bubbles. So mm-hmm. when would you say at what age or where did you discover and it doesn't necessarily have to be about champagne, but perhaps bubbles when you said, wow, I really, you know what? This is actually a really good buzz. For sure. It's super simple. I will tell you, I'm going to be extremely honest here. And 
I think as my as my old uh, therapist said, why would you lie? <laughs> I'm assuming everything else you've set up until now is a lie because now you're saying you want to be honest. <laughs> okay. Okay. So everything was a lie. Go ahead. Right. Flashback to I guess. Oh, geez, Louise. A long time ago now. Okay. I'm going to turn 34. When I was 18, I moved to the city. I went to FIT. I got my own apartment after two years. So me, 20 years old, living in Morningside Heights alone. So fun and obsessed mm-hmm. through and through with watching Sex in the City. When it actually came There's out. something about <laughs> when it actually came yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. There's something about like, I don't know, maybe it's too soon to say how much you loved Sex in the City. Like kind of like you wouldn't want to put on a Modest Mouse album in public at like right now. Do you remember last year I watched the entire, I watched it it's from beginning so to end. It's so great. And it was such a big part of my life. And it was such a formative thing of what I considered to be fabulous about and they actually made the word fabulous really popular again you no offense so? to ab fab but yeah i think i do think yeah, so I was gonna say, what about absolutely fat uh, absolutely of fabulous. course but this was you know an american well, they show yeah, yeah, that's true so um so i think watching sex in the city written by and kind of taking like notes about what you have as a 20 year old woman taking notes about what to do to be prepared to be a fabulous 30 year old woman and oh my God, you're right. you know what I mean? And I was drinking cosmopolitan oh my God, you're in it right now and going to you're in your mid thirties. I know. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I, oh, I miss my, 30s. I used to go to sushi Samba with my, I remember taking my parents to sushi Samba and being, I like, got this fired from, cool. I got fired from sushi Samba. <laughs> really? I wonder yeah, I bro- if you were like my waiter when I was there. No, no, I worked in Chicago. <gasps> they opened one in Chicago. Oh, okay. It was a chain and I, it was. I just want. I don't to mean to crash your story. No, but please. I got fired from Sushi Samba. It was horrendous. Really? And they told the two managers they were they were terrible, and they said, they looked at me. They said, "You're the worst waiter I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life." They said, "You're, you're the worst <laughs> person." They said, "You cast a dark, negative, energetic spell among the entire staff." He goes, "I don't realize. I don't think you realize how powerful you are and how." Oh how negatively you affect everybody. So we really? have to let you go immediately. And I started crying. I don't blame you. I Well, I didn't realize how powerful I was. Well, until now you've harnessed your powers of evil and turned them to powers <laughs> yeah. of good. Kind, kind of. <laughs> my God, I, oh my God, did you hear me? I sounded like an old. Yeah, you sound bad. Like a like an evil person. <laughs> um, But I love I love that. And so long story short, that is, I think, where I learned to like drink champagne. However, I was a broke ass college kid going to FIT. So my friends and I would get, you know, small bags of cocaine and Andre's cocaine. Never heard of it. And I'm just Andre's, which was which was and is still some of the cheapest Prosecco that you can get. It's so. So sweet. It's you know basically what? a candy. And but it's cheap. It was at the time it was four dollars a bottle. We'd got cigarettes, which were four dollars a pack. Listen, Cocaine. I want you to I want everybody to know something right now. So that we don't get in trouble with the law or anything, that Zara and I don't do any drugs anymore. No. And and, and no we one else had should. our time and you shouldn't. But we have we sh- our time. you shouldn't, and, but we did. Sometimes people often associate cocaine with champagne. I know. And I've worked <laughs> they rhyme. <laughs> How could you not associate Champagne, cocaine. Exactly. They really do go hand in hand. That being said, don't do it. 
It's illegal. You know what's so weird is that I took the double uh, double dose, which actually means a quadruple dose because I do everything double anyway, mm-hmm. of that cold medicine, and I feel like I'm really high right now. Yeah. So I feel like, oh, God. Right. So you're Except basically... I don't want a cigarette, thank God. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cigarettes <laughs> kill. So that's how I, how I started wanting... Because I just wanted to be fancy. You know? I, I just wanted to be fancy. Listen, and I think... Let me go ahead and tell my story. Please do. Uh, so, ah, the year was 2002. Imagine. <laughs> Picture was, it. Sicily. School. <laughs> Picture it. Picture Sicily. it. 1940. <laughs> Sicily, 1940s. This should just be a Golden Girls podcast. <laughs> and I was working at the Ritz-Carlton, the dining room in Chicago. Okay, no, really. Picture it. It was of the utmost glamour. The place was built in 1970 or something, 1971. It was... Gold and maroons oh and God. and and chandeliers and the dining room had four. It was raised in each corner, so each there was four sections. Imagine looking at an aerial view of a four-leaf clover. Ooh, right. And what was I talking about? I don't know. Champagne. Okay. <laughs> Champagne. So <laughs> I got a job there. Very luckily, I was probably twenty-five and. You know, for that kind of place, I was kind of a young waiter. Yeah, yeah. Very inexperienced. For a young, and I was evil like, Guess person what? Like I just got fired from Sushi Samba. But <laughs> fast forward a year later, fuck you. I'm at the I'm the, the at the dining room at the Ritz Carlton, which back then was owned by the Four Seasons. So listen, so uh, everybody was very all the other waiters, bunch of old gay guys. Rod, there was a guy named Rod Miguel. Rod, and there was this guy named Kyle Hart, this like big, tall, black guy that always talked about sex. And anyway, they had electric doors into the dining room, in and out, and the kitchen was very large. I mean, a hotel kitchen. This is like giant hotel in Chicago. And I would go through the back, and there was a service bar. And in the service bar was a bartender named I think. Don't was, say his real name. Well, he's dead. I think. Oh. So I think Good. his name is Jean. He was a French okay. guy. Okay. And he was looked like the f- classic French guy. Like he had like a parted hair. Aww. And he was so gentle and kind. He's like, hey, hello, good evening. And apparently he worked in this tiny little bar. Behind- it's not a bar. There was no customers. It was a service bar yeah. for the restaurant. Apparently he'd worked there for 30 years in this little room five days a week. Anyway, you would slip him 20 bucks, right? You'd be like, hey, Jean, in the beginning of the night. And by 9 p.m., the dining room closed very early. Nine was our last seating. And by 9, 10 p.m., we had guzzled a bottle or two of champagne. And I didn't, I just, I, all the old waiters were like, this is just what you do. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. just drink it. She's like, shut up. Don't tell anybody. And we put it in teacups and oh, teapots. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Laurent Perrier Rosé. It was something kind of nice. Yeah. Not like overly nice, but on a bottomless Tea, a bottomless teapot of champagne. That's really fun. So, needless to say, that's uh, a great story. That's something you can tell my grandkids. And it was really fun. Stay. And I know I'm like, it was really fun getting completely drunk every night. <laughs> I mean, that's the service industry. Industry. <laughs> Did you just say industry? No. Industry. I think you misheard me. And no, but it was really wonderful. That's amazing. And I. So anyway, again. I was trying to be fancy. I thought, oh, my God, I'm working at the Ritz. I thought I was the coolest guy ever. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I've got a, and I got the taste. And it turns out you are the coolest oh, guy ever. Do you remember we were talking about the different bottle sizes of champagne? Yes. What and, is the biggest? Oh, the biggest. Uh, Melchior. How big was that what it was? Melchior. How big is it? 
I can't remember how many liters. I'm going to look it up right now. Zara's looking it up right now. Keep but saying something. There's the Balthazar, Nebuchadnezzar is a big one, Malchior. A Balthazar is a big bottle of champagne? Yeah. I never knew that. There's a, I can't remember how. I just thought it was, I don't know what I thought it there's was. There's a I piccolo, just, there's like a, you know, a half bottle, a magnum. Uh, there's there many, many. I tried to memorize them all and I keep forgetting because I'm drinking too much champagne. Let's see. I have it right here. And the biggest bottle of champagne is um, called a, oh my God. What? Wait a minute. Um, a Salmanazar? Salmanazar? No, Salmanazar is not the biggest one. Hang on. The internet is failing me. Yeah, just ask a real human. I should just ask Siri. No, I'm telling you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. I've got it. I've got it. What is it? Um, uh, no, I can't pronounce this. Look at the one on the bottom. A Nebuchadnezzar. No, a I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm telling you, Melchior is after that. Um, don't believe the hype. Okay. So, okay. I guess well, I would say here's what we're, oh, and there was one other question I had for you. Yes, please. Oh my God. This reminds me. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I had to blow my nose. Go ahead. What is that? Oh God. That feels funny in my teeth. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> I'm blowing Jamie. my nose. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is our first episode. How do you expect it's people to come back? It's not my fault. No one's going to listen to episode two. Well, if they do, then they'll start with two and forget number one. Okay, fair enough. Okay, Nobody what's your listens. question? My question is, have you ever made, since Zara and I are both, <laughs> Zara and I are both fabulous cooks, <laughs> what's one of the coolest things you've either made or or something cooked with champagne or something? Um, we did a, um, a thing for Taste Talks, which is this cool thing thrown by Brooklyn Magazine maybe like five years ago now, four or five years ago. Um, and it was the mother of Pearl dinner, which was, this is when I had Brucey and it was kicking off the whole event with a bunch oh, of other yeah. famous chefs. I was, I shouldn't say other famous chefs. The other chefs were famous and I was me. I was lucky enough to be there. Um, but we did a really cool dish. I won't get into the whole dish, but it was a seafood stuffed yeah. pepper vibey. Delicious. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and since the theme was mother of Pearl and oysters, we did a champagne aioli. Champagne ale. Mm -hmm. So it should be. Uh, did you put garlic in it? Yeah, garlic. I made it exactly like a regular aioli. I always add water to my aioli, so instead of adding water, I added champagne. Exactly. It you was can delicious. Check out. <laughs> if you have any questions, please email us. We're professionals. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was really. really no, it was all, good. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't made that recently for me. Well, you know, my champagne. That was kind of <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't made that personally it, it, for we me. We just have dinner and it's just like a quart of champagne aioli and nothing uh, else. Please use the John spoons. Only I only have Dom Perignon <laughs> mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, Dom. <laughs> Snob. All right, ready? Dom. Yay or nay? Um you know, I'm not someone who has super fancy taste. So for me, I'd always rather go to like one of my favorite wine shops like Thirst here in Brooklyn and find like a funky natural vibey than go for a bottle of $500 Dom. That being said, if someone's, if, if I'm in a situation where it's available to me, I'll be like, this is really fun. Yay. You know, I mean, when but more flowing. enthusiastic than, yeah. yay. I think they have the status. But I, I don't, it's not my favorite. 
it's not I've, my taste necessarily. I've, yeah, we've been wine tastings. I mean, that's a yeah. thing. We're fortunate enough to. I like things that are cool that people make more personally. But, True. you know, it's a fun. If I'm at a party, which I'm never at a party that oh people God. are pouring Dom. But if I was, I would be like, okay. I mean. Re- actually, this reminded me of the producers of Dom Perignon came to the Ritz-Carlton dining room. Oh, my God. Back whenever I worked in 2002. Okay. And they let us taste all their wine. And they said how, you know, how handmade the product was. Which okay. is why, that's why you're it's right. worth 500 bucks a bottle. I mean, maybe it is. I shouldn't say you're right. I really don't know enough about it. Maybe it is. I remember that rapper. I can't remember his name, but he came into the Ritz-Carlton. He's like, yeah, give me a... I don't know. He didn't have that accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I, uh, so uh, give me ah, a bottle of... Okay, give me a little bottle of... It's like, hey. yeah, brother, I'll have a bottle. No, don't do. I, I've been really confusing my accents. Yeah. I have too many going on in my head. He asked for a bottle of Dom Perignon and... And small bottles of Coca-Cola. Okay. And he made Coke and Dom on the rocks. Okay, cool. Kind of like the AbFab vibe. I like how... Still the bully. I, I like to take... I like that he's Vivin, but, yeah. taking a bottle of $500 champagne and mixing it with Coke and saying, fuck you to the price of this because I don't give a shit. Yeah. What as, I'm si- as I'm sitting here, my records are making money. Yeah. Good for that guy. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And that guy was somebody named Jay-Z. Yeah. Bah. Turns out it was... Yeah, Some know, little was like, known rapper. I think it was 50 cents, <laughs> which was odd. Oh, maybe it was he, $1. I can't remember. I believe he tipped me 50 cents. Very strange. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He tipped really well. He was actually really nice. Cool. Uh, so that's... Uh, so... Oh, champagne. You know what I was thinking about? No. Okay. Remember those... We were talking about that, the little fish, like mm. the little whitings we can... Like, ah, Beer. Oh, all right, guys. I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, lay it on us. Your your thing. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and every Friday we do a fish fry. Oh, and fish fry just means where you yeah go. I mean, it was we were growing up on Lake Michigan, so you go and you get the the they have coho and salmon, whatever they what have. The fuck coho is salmon. a coho? It's coho. Uh. It's kind of like a salmon, but it's not a salmon. Okay, it's like a salmon and pasta. Anyway, but they have small. They have uh, they have smelt and mm-hmm. all kinds of fish. And you go on Friday and you get beer batter fish. So you want the bubbles to make the beer batter mm-hmm. kind of light and fluffy, right? Yeah, or like it's crispy, light and crispy. Yeah, I smell what the rock is cooking. And <laughs> <laughs> so champagne battered whiting. Oh my god, with champagne aioli. With champagne aioli. How fabulous. That sounds so delicious. So we're going to post that recipe up. And by the way, you can use Prosecco, Cremant de Girard, or Dom Perignon. Or seltzer or beer, but try to use yeah. some, some wine. <laughs> or Miller High Life. Yeah. The whole point is, if you can... Get in the kitchen. Get in the kitchen. Okay, guys. Shall we? Yeah. We have another half a bottle of champagne to drink. Guys, oh we love you. Thank you for listening to our first episode. And... Please email us with any questions, comments, or concerns about either the the champagne battered whiting or the champagne aioli. Yeah, I or and please do yourself a favor and invite some of your friends over for whatever celebration. I'm sure at any point in the day we can find something to celebrate. Absolutely, that's a really good point. And don't worry if it's not perfect because you can't have the champ without the, the pain. pain. Bye. Da, 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 da.
All of our episodes are recorded right here at Studio 54 at the heart of Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Our rock star, award-winning sound editor and producer is Christine Farrell. I'm Zara Tangora. And I'm Bretton Scott. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 